Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. This is Peter Englert. I am here with Alyssa Matz, our guest. She is a staff person. This is her first podcast. She's answering the question, why do my friends in crisis need me? I'm here with our illustrious co-host, Aaron Mercer. Hello, hello. Hey, there good we go. to be here. Our Alyssa, we're glad to have you here with us. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have our fantastic producer, Nathan. We uh, exist to respond to the questions you don't feel comfortable asking in church. And so uh, this was a hard why question, but I think that why do my friends in crisis need me? I think that it hints at when someone goes through something, some of us tend to overhelp, some of us tend to underhelp. How do we navigate that? And I feel like Alyssa is a great person to do that. What Absolutely. do you think, Aaron? Yeah, no, I think this is, <laughs> I'm looking forward to this conversation. I think it's a, it's a good topic. It's a topic a lot of us have to, you know, at one point or another, if we have friends, which hopefully we do, we hit on that in a <laughs> different, in a different, in a different uh, podcast uh, with Amanda. Um, but, uh, you know, it's something that we all will have to face. And, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, our friends will have to face with us at some point. Everybody's going to hit a crisis moment at some point. So right. I'm excited about, uh, about this. And should we, so we know Alyssa. I mean, Alyssa here, works here with us at uh, Browncroft in, in uh, our family ministry department. Um, and we're just so thankful to have her on staff with us. Um, but Peter and I know you, but maybe you could introduce yourself to our, our listeners. Yeah, awesome. So um, like you said, my name is Alyssa. I work in family ministry. I'm the family ministry coordinator, and I've been loving that job. That family ministry team is just so awesome, and I'm so blessed that I get to work with them. Um, and then I also am interning, actually. So I work here and I intern here. Um, I intern in the congregational care department. Um, with Jay. And that is a part of my MSW program that I'm in. It's required that we do an internship. And I was just so blessed to be able to do my internship here at Browncroft. MSW is Master of Social Work. Yes, Masters of Social Work. Yep. Great. So what sort of things are you doing in the Congregational Care Department? Oh, so much. And which is why I love it so much is there's always something new to be doing. Um, We meet with people who come into the church and say, hey, I'm in a crisis. Right, right, right. Um, which fits well with this conversation, right? Yes, yes. They come in, they need our help, or there's some people who need tangible resources. They need um, money for groceries or they need car repairs. Um, We're able to provide um, the funding for that. Um, We also do support groups. So we have grief share, divorce care, um, and those are meeting uh, weekly every Sunday. And just helping people in a group setting um, is it's so cool. I get, I've gotten to help with both both of those groups, so Divorce Care and Grief Share. We do um, Senior Connections, which is for elderly people um, in our community and in our church, 65 and older, and they meet um, once a month, too. So there's just so much stuff going on in congregational care, and you never know what a day is going to look like because it depends on who walks through the door or who calls you or emails you, and it's it's been so exciting and fun <laughs> and man between family ministry and mm-hmm. and the uh care work that you're doing mm-hmm. you're you're meeting at people at all stages of life and and you know from i know peter and i we both have kids that you take care of on sundays <laughs> you make them feel greeted and welcomed you're also dealing you're also you know helping out the teenagers that mm-hmm. we have here in our youth program and um man you get to see people at all moments and probably get to see friends needing to deal with crises at all all so i'm gonna throw it to peter and let him ask because he's got something on the tip of his tongue here no 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 we're uh you know we love it so when do you think was the first moment that you kind of said 
I want to get involved with people in crisis. Mm -hmm. You know, how, how old were you? You know, when was it clicking that this is something that you're passionate about? Mm, this is a good question, Peter. Um, for me, uh, my story and how I even got into the field of social work began when I was a freshman in high school. Um, I went on a missions trip to Haiti um, with my small church back um, in Akron, New York, near Buffalo. And um, so half of the people who went on the mission trips were from, or mission trip was from the church. The other half was from Roberts Wesleyan College and they were social work majors and they were going with a professor who went to the church. So she was kind of the bridge between Roberts and the church. And I was able to go on that trip as a freshman and see these social work majors um, helping people. They were doing needs assessments. Um, they were seeing what the people in that small village in Haiti needed. And then we were able to get those resources to them based on the assessments that the social work mm. majors had done. And I just thought it was so cool. I was like, well, we can like tangibly help these people. We don't just go and say like, oh, nice to meet you. Like, let's snap a picture, post it on Instagram and leave. But it's more like we can see what you need and partner with you in um, giving you the resources you need now and in the future. And so that kind of planted the seed um, when I was a freshman in high school. And then I actually had an opportunity to go back again when I was a senior in high school. And between the time I was a freshman and a senior, I kind of doubted. I was like, oh, social work. Yeah, that was cool, but I kind of want to make money. Like, I'm kind of smart. Like, I could go into nursing or something something where I'm smart and making money. And um, then after the second mission trip, I just felt God tugging on my heart and saying like, no, this is this is where you need to go. You need to follow what I have for you, not what's going to make you the most money or what makes you smart or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, God just really put it on my heart that I was called into the field of social work through that trip. And originally I thought like, oh, I could be an international social worker or work with adoption because um, that's what I was exposed to. But once I jumped into the field of social work, I realized that it's so broad and there's so many different things you can do. And that probably won't be the exact route that I take with it, but it's still giving a taste of caring for people and genuinely meeting their needs. And I just fell in love with that. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I So I have a question because mm -hmm. you're, you're in your 20s. Mm -hmm. um, I know that people thought you probably act older, so that's a compliment, <laughs> but you're in your 20s. So on one hand, there's a lot of your peers that are de-churched and unchurched mm -hmm. and feel like the church is very disconnected from the needs of the world. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you have parents, um, and you probably deal with this a little bit in family ministry, that feel like it's pure information that's transformational. And as a, so it's, you know, the kids need to know all 66 books of the Bible. They need to know the doctrine of the Trinity and they need, and all these things are important, but you have these two groups that you're giving this kind of third way story that you're saying, no, the church was involved and I learned a ton by doing. So I guess, how did all of that come together for you? And the more that you're a part of the church, do you see that of, you know, it's not just about understanding the theology of the gospel, but it's actually living it out. What's that interplay for you? Oh, that's such a good question. So my life verse that I just absolutely love is um, from James, and it talks about how faith without works is dead. So if you if you believe something, you have to you have to put it into action. You can't just knowing it isn't enough. You have to practice your faith and. Um, that can be hard. We have had some pushback from parents who want us to um, 
this is this is the way the kids need to know this kind of um, thing. But we're kind of in the business of teaching children and students how to think instead of what to think. And we do that through genuine relationships with small group leaders and uh, the staff. And I just think that you can get much farther in caring for people if um, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. So caring for people for us at family ministry and for me is a personal value. Um, and I think you can get much farther by caring for people and loving people rather than telling them what to do or telling them what to think. I want to come back to your peers that mm -hmm. are de-churched and unchurched. Mm -hmm. And we're in this question, why do my friends in crisis mm -hmm. need me? What is the difference that you see that Christianity motivates you to your friends in crisis that's different if Christianity or Jesus wasn't there. And let me just kind of frame it. You know, there's TV shows now like How I Met Your Father. You know, there's been friends. I'm I'm aging myself here. <laughs> but The Office where they play on the importance of these relationships, but rarely do we see them kind of in the real world. And I guess you probably have a different perspective from your peers about crisis, about being de-churched and unchurched and how that goes together. How do you respond to that? Ooh, I'm going to have to think about that one. But yeah, so for my peer groups, it's definitely, there's a lot of deconstruction. There's a lot of unchurched. Um, and I think the preconceived notion that a lot of people have is that the church doesn't help in crisis, but the church causes crisis. Um, I think that's just a bias. I think it's definitely untrue, but I can see why people may have thought that. So a lot of people in crisis turn away from the church because they either think the church is the cause of the crisis or they think the church is going to make the crisis worse. Um, but I don't believe that's true. And I think that, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> so no, thank you, Alyssa. So you, you were talking about um, the church helping. You talked about um, how you got into social work and you're mm -hmm. pursuing your your master's in social work which mm -hmm. is really cool um at at roberts is that right yeah, yeah. um and uh yeah no that's great so now i'm assuming you're doing that so you can be helping people generally i mean there's a lot of people who always you know there's always people who need help but especially right now after the last couple of years we've we've been in um but i'm curious even you know i think we started to touch on even in some of your own um personal relationships, your friends, mm -hmm. you know, um, there, it's one thing to be helping people who you're, you're professionally suited to help. I mean, that's one relationship, which is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, but what about when a, when a friend, like I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with this is if a friend comes to you and is in a moment of crisis, whether that's a, a health crisis or a job crisis, they lost a job or mm. um, they're about to lose a job mm -hmm. or maybe it's uh, some other relational thing or there was a death in the family or who knows what it is, but someone comes to you, what are the, for you, um, both as someone as a friend who's been through things like this before, but also as someone who's got a little professional training mm -hmm. too, you know, what are some of the questions that start coming in your mind that you want to, um, I don't want to say you want to, well, you want to explore. Mm -hmm. You want to obviously probably be compassionate and 
careful how you do that, but you want to explore. What are some of the questions that are coming into your mind? Yeah. So when I do have a friend that comes to me in crisis, the first thing that I have to personally remind myself of is that I'm not their counselor or their Mm. therapist. That can be hard because of my background in social work to go into therapist mode or counselor mode. Um, But people just need a friend. When they come to you as a friend, you don't need to be their counselor. You don't need to be their therapist, even if that's what you are, maybe. Um, And I think a lot of time we go into that mode and we forget we're friends. We don't need to counsel or to solve their issue to be their therapist. Um, That's just the first thing that I think of. Um, Second thing I think of, which probably should have been the first thing, is prayer. Um, Mm -hmm. Praying for the situation, praying with your friend in the situation. I always think that's a good place to start, um, no matter what the crisis is, prayer, or whatever the situation is, prayer is a great place to start. And um, even if you're not a praying person or you're not a Christian, taking a moment to pause, reflect, breathe before you jump into action and think through the situation before you start trying to solve it is always a great place to start. So I say prayer um, is is first. Um, But then after that, um, the three things, there's three things that questions that you should ask yourself when your friend comes to you in crisis. Um, This is what I do. So first of all, I ask, what is my capacity in this situation? What Mm. resources do I have? What is my availability? Um, Am I tapped out emotionally? Am I able to respond to this in a healthy way? Um, Those are just reflection questions of yourself before you even start to help the other person. um, Think of how you can fit into the situation and what the best way to do that is like you can't pour from an empty cup so mm. if your cup is empty you're not going to be able to to fill up your friend's cup to pour into them to help them in the way that they need um second question is which sometimes gets overlooked but it's so important asking your friend what they need so we think, oh, that's obviously ask the person what they need, but it's often a, a step that gets skipped or gets missed. You just jump into action and you start solving their problem or giving them advice or not doing any of that, um, whatever you think is best. But the best thing to do is to ask a person, hey, what do you need? Um, and the way that I ask it is um, because they may not know what they need in that moment. So giving them some options is is pretty helpful. So I say, Um, what do you need right now? Do you need my hands? Do you need my mind? Or do you need my shoulder? Um, Hands meaning, do you need me to step in and do something for you in this crisis? Do you need me to physically come in and help you in some way? Um, My mind, uh, do you need advice? Do you need me to tell you what to do? Do you need me to tell you um, some resources or some information that I know that can help you? And then third is the shoulder. Do you just need me to sit with you? Do you just want me to come and keep you company during this time? Um, you just want me to be with you as you struggle through this crisis. Um, so those are three questions that you that you ask your friend in crisis. And then the third thing you want to do is kind of create a Venn diagram. So um, look at your capacity to help. Look at what your friend needs. Overlap it and see where those things meet. And that that's the gold right there. That's where you want to what you want to do. That's where you want to be. Um, You don't want to ignore your needs. You don't want to ignore your friend's needs, but you want to look and see where those needs overlapped. And that's the best way that you can that you can help them in that time, Um, because you don't want to be working out of um, your capacity. And you also don't want to be doing meeting needs that your friend doesn't actually need met. So it's it's a balance. And 
that's just my rule of thumb is your needs, their needs overlap. Does that make sense? Wow, yeah, no, that's I, really helpful. That's super practical. Um, yeah. You know, I was thinking about um, <clears throat> Darren Patrick was a pastor that committed suicide mm -hmm. and Steve Cuss, who was a guest on our podcast, interviewed his wife. You know, and because the second question that you asked is the one that we always struggle with. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you need? Mm -hmm. And it's like, in some ways, it's a cop out to say, hey, what do you need? I don't like no one's really going to tell you what they need. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one of the things Amy said that I just want to get your thoughts on was, you know, Amy Patrick, she shared how the friend said, hey, Amy, my daughter would really love to ride with your daughter to sports practice. Mm -hmm. And so it was almost a way of kind of telling her, I know you need this, but I need you to get this perspective that this is actually helpful for me. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that, that that's the, sec the second question is where we kind of get lost. Besides that strategy, are there any other strategies that you've seen that work that when someone's in crisis? Because I think the danger is um, you overdo mm -hmm. or the danger is you're like, well, I asked, they said no. And you know that they're like bailing water. Right. Yeah. That is as Christians and as people, we tend to either overhelp or underhelp. Like I think you said before, and that can be a very dangerous thing because if you're overhelping, you're not actually helping the situation. If you're underhelping, you're not actually helping the situation either. So it's, it's all about finding the balance between um, what the person needs and what what's too much. Um, one thing that I would say is just a general rule of thumb is just show up, um, whether that is in person or through texting or giving someone a phone call, um, just be there for that person. Um, it means more than you know. You may not think that they want you to be there, even if you're just sitting in silence next to someone who's going through a crisis. It, just having that connection to someone um, is so important. There's a, a quote by Brene Brown, and she says, it's so good. She says, um, let me, I have it right here, actually, on my phone. She said, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Mm. So not getting caught up in saying the right or wrong thing, but just connecting with that person that you're trying to care for. Um, I think often when I'm thinking about under helping. I think a lot of times Christians do this thing where they say, oh, I'll pray for you. Um, and your friend comes to you there in crisis and you don't know what to do. So your cop out answer is, oh, I'll pray for you. And praying for people is good. Like I said, we should do that. But if that's where it stops, then I think that that is a little bit of an under helping. I think that as Christians, we're called to do more than just pray. I think we were called to pray, obviously. But there's a verse in James as well in that same passage that I get my life verse from that says, um, if a brother or sister comes to you and they're hungry and they, they need clothing and you say, oh, I'll pray for you, be on your way, nice to talk to you, but you don't give them that clothes or, or those food, the food that they need, then what good is it? Mm. And um, I think as Christians, we need to remember that, that praying is good, but sometimes we need to do more than just pray. Sometimes we need to actually offer something to that friend or um, just follow up with them after you pray. Um, say, hey, I've been praying for you. How's it going? Just checking in, um, just not falling into the trap of being afraid and using prayer as a cop out. Hmm. 
No, it's so good. I, I, uh, I love the the practical questions you you uh, put together, and I like. I mean, I like diagrams, so I kind of liked how you <laughs> brought that in too. Um, and one of the things I love about it is you. Um, it's important to remember that we have limitations, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I think that that can be paralyzing for people to feel like I have to do everything to help some like and I can't I can't do it all so maybe just the better thing is just to to just shut off and um but it seems like if someone's your friend I mean it's it's probably different in other situations but if someone is your friend Mm -hmm. you probably at least have the capacity to be a shoulder Mm -hmm. even if you can't do anything else Mm -hmm. um for for even if it's for a limited time i don't know you know i guess even there there's probably balances you have to have to strike is you have you you know how how do you deal how have how how would you suggest to people to deal with something that's not a it's not a one-off crisis it's not a crisis that gets solved overnight or Mm -hmm. even in a week or even in a month Mm -hmm. what about something that's a long-term thing how do you how do you help your friends that are in a longer-term crisis? Do you have an example in your mind, Aaron? Um, well, I mean, I think there you could have a lot of, you could go a lot of different directions with mm-hmm. that. Um, some relational crises um, last can mm-hmm. last for a while. I mean, you, whether it's someone going through a separation or a divorce, and there's a long-term mm-hmm. struggle there. I was actually thinking more of like a health crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something like a cancer or whatever that that's not an overnight thing mm-hmm. um, or not usually. And, you know, how do you continue to be helpful to someone, mm-hmm. to a friend who's in a crisis like that? Mm-hmm. Where yeah, do you start and where do you try to go with it? Yeah. So I think you start at the same place that you that I said before is knowing your capacities. So knowing you can't solve their cancer, you can't walk in and take that away from them. Um, but knowing what you can do um, and listing that out and writing it down and making a plan ahead of time. Like if you know your friend is going to go through cancer and they're going to be sick for months or years, thinking ahead and planning, what can I do? What do they need during this time and what am I able to do? So if that's um, making meals or visiting them during their treatments, um, just being there, honestly, throughout that that time is so crucial and can be so meaningful and we don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. Um, what we don't want to do is try to solve things. Um, we don't want to say, oh, this is a long-term crisis. I can fix it. I can jump in. I can save the day. And I think that's what we're tempted to do a lot of the time is to overextend ourselves and to try to do more than what we are able to do. Um, so keeping in mind what you can do and what you cannot do in the beginning of the crisis. Once you realize, oh, my friend has a relational issue or a health issue, knowing you can't solve it, you're not God, um, you're not able to take that away or heal it completely. Um, But you can do what you're capable of, which would be um, being someone's friend, giving them practical things they need, being a support system. Maybe it's setting up a weekly or monthly meeting with them and just checking in, talking to them. Um, it's, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, I think that helps. So that's a, I think that's a really, there's some helpful tips, helpful advice. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, that's a, and I imagine too, if you have worked hard to start off the right way, um, that opens the doors for you to be of more help 
as you go along or, mm -hmm. or, or knowing the right kind of yeah, help yeah. i should say too not mm -hmm. just not just uh um you know offering maybe the right kind but knowing knowing, mm -hmm. knowing how your friends needs are changing so yeah. yeah, I am curious too. Can I jump, Peter? Can I jump? Ask another question. <laughs> All right. So, what what do you think holds people back on the flip side? Like, if you're the friend who is in crisis, what holds people back from actually reaching out in the first place? If you're the friend in crisis, what holds you back from reaching out to your friends? Yeah. Oh, definitely. There's lots of things, and I think the the main thing is fear. Um, maybe being afraid to bother. Uh, your friend, you don't want to, you don't want to inconvenience them or put your problems on them. You can handle it yourself. I get like that sometimes. I know for sure if I have a crisis, I, my instinct is to to shrink in and not to reach reach out to others because I'm afraid I don't want to bother them or I can handle it myself. Kind of attitude. Right. Um, and then sometimes there's even things like like shame or guilt. Maybe the friend who's in crisis played a part in creating that crisis, and they're ashamed um, that they have done that and they don't want to um, admit that, that they did something wrong or that they need help mm -hmm. in that way. Um, so fear, shame. Um, and then the third thing I would say is maybe they don't, they don't know that they can ask you, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Mm -hmm. yep. Right? They think that they don't even think of it as an option. Maybe no one has been there for them in crisis or maybe um, this is their first time going through a crisis and they just don't even realize that there is a friend there that can help them through it. Let's flip that. I like where you went, Aaron, but <clears throat> so let's say you're a friend, mm -hmm. your friend ha in crisis hasn't come to you, but you're aware of it. And it's kind of a gray area mm -hmm. of, you know, what do I do? I'm aware of this crisis. And sometimes it's public, like sometimes someone posts on Facebook and says, I have cancer. Other mm -hmm. times you find out through the grapevine. How do you approach when you haven't been approached? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. And that can be tricky too, because I think we often feel the fear on this side of not wanting to um, encroach on someone or push them or make them feel uncomfortable. Um, but I I don't think it's a bad idea to to reach out to a person who is in crisis. Obviously, you don't want to do it in an unhealthy or uh, a weird way where you're like, hey, I heard you have cancer and I haven't talked to you in five years. But you know what I mean? Like you want it to be organic and you want it to be genuine. If if you feel compelled to reach out to somebody who is in crisis, it should come from a place of actual concern and empathy for that person, not from a place of um, feeling like it's required of you or you have to, or you want to be the, the hero or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, it definitely needs to come from a place of empathy. And then from there, um, be gentle with the person. You don't want to alarm them or scare them. Um, but connect with them first, just like Brene Brown said, it's not about saying the right or wrong thing. It's about developing a connection with a person, um, and caring for them. So, Showing them that you care about them beyond what their crisis is, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I care about you as a person, not only when you're in this crisis, but I cared about you before and I care about you after it's over. I, I think it, an, an occupational hazard as a pastor mm -hmm. is, um, and I don't know if you've been through this, like, I'll get on the phone or email with someone that's in crisis and it's almost like, well, why didn't you know? Mm. And it's like... I, I, I can't read minds. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you know, and I also too think, you, you know, can, I, you can't read minds. I can't. Are you sure? 
Oh, uh, man. Man. Mm-hmm. Good you, thing you can't read my mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, that means we have to bring Rapana on for another podcast because <laughs> she wished I could read her mind. But, <laughs> but so, I mean, I, I think about there's two expectations, mm-hmm. like even just a small group thing. So, you know, we have small groups, mm-hmm. 10 to 12 people, and, you know, this person will say, hey, I'm in this crisis, and then there's no, they have expectations but they're not communicating them mm-hmm. so i kind of put a little bit of the responsibility on the person in crisis cuz it's like you want something from the group but then i also put the expectations on the group too mm-hmm. cuz it's like you know at the very least you know you talked about doing a plan what i do when i find out someone's in crisis mm-hmm. you know i have an initial conversation if there isn't anything i can do right away i put in my phone Hey, I'm gonna follow up with you in a mm-hmm. month, you yeah. know, or a week, just depending on it. Um, so I, I kind of look at both sides. Number one, if you're in crisis and you have expectations, I think it's so important to share that. But number two, you know, friends, small group, like you need to kind of at least enter in to kind of say, hey, what does support look like? Mm-hmm. You know, we can set up the meal train, we can do this. And I think sometimes people just kind of feel. I don't know, helpless. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I guess we can't read minds, but we have to create the safe enough environment to have those conversations too. Yeah, that's so true. It's it's a two-way street. I think um, the person in crisis, not that we want to put all the responsibility on them, but like you said, they do. They are responsible for letting the people who are helping them know if they're doing too much or too little, um, which they may not realize in the moment in the, in the crisis, but... Um, being prepared or talking to someone maybe before a crisis happens, not that you can predict a a crisis, but um, knowing them and knowing their style and their love language and how they feel best served is super helpful. So then when they do get to that crisis, um, the person who's caring for them knows, well, I know that this person feels loved in this way. Um, And they can kind of think back to that because the person in crisis may not be able to tell them exactly what they need uh, during that time. But it is a two-way street. I think that while more responsibility is on the person caring for the other person, I do think there's a little bit of responsibility on the person in the crisis to to let others know what they need and what best fits their situation. No, go ahead. I think, I mean, I think that's a, Really, uh, I, I think that's a, a good point. There's a there's a two way street mm-hmm. there. Um, I love that we're even talking about the people like Peter who puts it on his list, um, you know, to contact the people who have already made the effort to to get into that situation in the first place. Because it seems to me like, especially you know, we we all have such we keep ourselves too busy. We mm-hmm. did another podcast on that recently, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people staying too busy with our calendars and. Um, and uh, you know that was the Jen Paul Michael, what? yeah, Michelle, Michelle. Sorry, Man. oh no, it's okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry about that. Um, so <laughs> right, she'll, right here, Jen. She'll right forgive. She'll forgive me for that. <laughs> I think so. Um, but uh, but we stay so busy that it's easy to mm. either not even see a need or maybe not want to see it. Mm. I don't know. You know, like it's it's easy to feel like if I even put myself in as a shoulder that's going to draw me in too much. I don't know. Mm -hmm. All I know is that, you know, I guess what I'm trying to get at is 
I know that at points in my life when I've had, whether I've had, you know, a death in the family um, or um, a job loss, like to me, it's made a big difference when someone has stepped in as a, just to be the, hey, mm -hmm. how are you doing? Yeah. And not not just disappear because that that's probably the first step and then and then it seems like then you can have the other hey how can i help you out but mm -hmm. yeah what do you think about that well you know i got one story before she responds that's okay from your world uh oh you know <laughs> i think it was mark batterson that told this story but so aaron attended church in washington dc at the mm. national community church and i wouldn't necessarily say this is crisis but it's emblematic i i want to say the senator was tom daschle and tom daschle you know was in the South Dakota, North Dakota, South Dakota, South Dakota. And he lost the election. And I think it was Mark Batterson, if not Mark, sorry. But <laughs> basically, you know, somehow they got connected. It was after he lost and it was the in-between time. And, you know, just it was like, well, should I call him? And the person that he was talking to, he's like, no one's calling Dashell right now. Mm. No one's talking to him. And I don't know. If you, I mean, you worked on the Senate, like we we're talking about like cancer crisis and stuff. And I don't think there's a, tons of us that are running for office, but there's even the little things like that. I mean, did you have experiences like that? Where sure. it was like, I mean, that's a job loss for sure. That's a big, yeah. that's a, that's a, that's definitely something to process through. And, and you're right. There's probably, especially people in different situations, some who are maybe in highly public situations, it might be even harder for someone to feel like, oh, maybe Maybe I shouldn't reach out to them. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So, but. yeah, just to jump in here, I think a lot of times we take the attitude like, oh, someone else will talk to them. Yeah. I, don't need, I don't need to reach out to I them. I think that's because, where Peter is going. Right? right? Yeah. yeah. So we just assume like, oh, they have so many friends or they have a big family. They don't need me to reach out to them. It, it doesn't matter. But in reality, it, it does. And I think it does make a difference when someone even who may be a little bit removed from you, who may just be a, a friend or an acquaintance reaches out in your time of crisis. And I don't think anyone can ever feel if it's done in a healthy way. I don't think anyone can ever feel too cared for. I don't think mm. that mm. anyone's going to look back and say, wow, during that crisis, Alyssa was just too there for me. She she was too encouraging. She showed me the love of God too much. I just, I don't think anyone would say that. Um, if she done, listened too much. She listened so well. <laughs> oh, Alyssa. No, but um, I just think we have this fear that, that it's going to be overwhelming or too much care or they already have enough people that care for them. But I think we greatly underestimate ourselves in that mm. and um, knowing how much just reaching out or being there for someone actually matters. It, it does. Well, and and there's some creativity. Um, I don't. I think I've said this on the podcast before. My my sister's a cancer survivor. She was um, diagnosed around seven, mm. and um, you know, my brother and sister and I we always talk about. And my brother legitimately hates the green mint chocolate chip ice cream because people came and filled our freezer with mint chocolate chip green ice cream because mm. when she was going through the chemo that was one of the only things that she could eat mm. and you know it's just these little things that you see god's faithfulness and i'm even remember the, the story um everything happens for a reason it's a book by kate bowler she talks about this this family during her stage four cancer just sent an Amazon gift card every mm, month. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I don't think anyone's going to sit there like that is at the low level. And they finally decided to stop. Mm -hmm. But like, I, I think that we close ourselves off to just there's some creative ways that you can involve yourself 
without feeling like you're crossing that boundary that people look back on and they say, oh, that person was there for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of times we're tempted to get a little too specific, like you said, about the the mint chocolate chip ice cream, sending that. And yeah, you can you can get too much uh, mint chocolate chip ice cream. Uh, well, can you? That's pretty good. But, <laughs> according, uh, according to my brother, according yes. According to your brother, you can. But anyway, <laughs> if someone is in crisis, maybe sending them you know, um, dinner every single night. They're going to have a lot of leftovers. They probably don't need dinner every single night, but providing them with resources and things that open the door, like an Amazon gift card or, um, a coffee gift card or something where they have the choice over, um, the tangible thing that they're getting instead of giving them the same thing, like a casserole every day, like you're going to have too much casserole. Um, but maybe giving them a recipe book where they can, make their own casseroles or something less specific and more something that opens the door for that person to get the things they need. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think what I hear you say is think about what the person would appreciate, not necessarily you. Yeah. So um, I heard of a situation, this person and people will remain nameless, like there there was i wouldn't say it was a crisis but it was a major life transition mm. and all of a sudden it was hey we didn't have time to make lasagna but here's all the ingredients mm-hmm. and it was kind of like you know yeah <laughs> like not only it's nice that you bought all of this but in this major life transition you know, it's not like I can just throw it in the crock pot. Maybe you can, right. but like lasagna is a fairly intense meal mm-hmm. to make. And so I think what I hear you saying is, you know, be person centric. Right. You know, if, you know, if it's someone like, you know, probably you or me, um, you know, I think we're a little bit of like, mm-hmm. it's like, hey, show up. They don't mind it. Mm-hmm. If it's someone like Aaron, I mean, coffee's always good, right? You know, coffee, <laughs> sure. coffee, coffee's a good thing, but showing up is good, I think, for everybody. And showing up doesn't mean walking up to someone's doorstep and walking in and saying, hey, I'm going to sit next to you for the next three hours. It could just mean sending a card. card. It could mean sending a text. It could mean a little phone call. It doesn't have to mean showing up, like being right there, right on them all the time. Like I'm walking with you through this. But just knowing that you're there, it may be more of a a subtle um, being there with them, but it's not a bad thing you know so uh, let's have some fun here this is an all answer question <laughs> oh these are always dangerous just so you know well no no so like, like it, a little danger so <laughs> so like if you're in crisis um what's like the one to two things that you would say i can't always articulate but i know that this is super helpful because i think this will be helpful for our listeners mm. yeah do you, do you both want to think and let me go first? Is that what that be? Yes. You go first. I'll yes. think a little bit. You're the question asker on this one. <laughs> well, yeah. You start so, off. So, so number one, I think, I think just including and inviting, you know, so, um, you know, depending on if, whether it's I'm sick and that's what's hard. Like, so showing up physically is a big deal, but say I'm going through something like if we're recording this during March Madness to say, hey, come over and just watch the game with me. That's huge. Mm. I think the second thing too is like, I wouldn't say my love language is acts of service, but when I'm really stressed in crisis, like 
serving is huge. So mm-hmm. if someone came to my house and just mowed the lawn, you know, or if someone came in, um, you know, I'm actually, I mean, I'm very touched by like my next door neighbor, we had a bad morning with Haley and Lucy and, you know, Lucy was up at 515. It snowed like four or five inches. He just like, and I didn't know how to receive it because I'm an Enneagram too. Maybe we'll get there. But, <laughs> uh, but like he just blew my driveway. Wow. And so like, mm. I think when I'm in crisis, depending on what it is, you know, most of the time, number one, it's how can you be physically present? And it doesn't, we don't need to talk about what's going on. But then number two, it's, you know, how can you take some of this stuff off my plate that I'm not naturally wired to do? So that's what mm. I'd say. Do you that's want good. me to go or do you want to go? I just kind of want to echo exactly yeah. what you said was probably going to be my answer. Okay. I thought back to a time in college. Um, I had a mini health crisis and three of my best friends just showed up within a week and just hung out with me and just were like, hey, let's just talk. Let's get ice cream. Let's go shopping. And it was just so fun. I just remember so vividly when they texted me and said, hey, I heard about what was going on. I, I want to hang out. And just having someone there with me um, just made things so, so much better. I just love, I think my love language is um, quality time. So maybe that's why I enjoy, I just love being surrounded by people, especially when I'm going through a hard time because it's really hard to go through hard times alone. Um, so having someone to just step in and say, I just want to, I just want to be with you. Um, and then also the acts of service too. I Sometimes we don't have capacity when we're going through a crisis to do the things that we normally could make dinner or go shopping or mow our lawn. So I think, yeah, having someone that just does that, it's it's so good. It's such a blessing. And so I, I think I agree. I think my top two are probably the same as yours. <laughs> <laughs> are you an Enneagram too also? I am not. I'm a nine. A nine. Okay. Yeah. All wing right. one. So I got a little, little bit of a perfectionist and peacekeeper. Wow. All That's right. Me. Cool. <laughs> To, Peter wants me to say what I am, but uh, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing here. So um, we think that I'm I'm moving in, you know, accepting a six, but as a you, six, I'm skeptical yeah. about it. You think that you're a six. I don't type people, so. Okay, that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's the way it's supposed to be. Um, I, no, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I love what you guys said. And I, you know, I think it shows that different people respond in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you know, I think uh, I think words of affirmation are important. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, it, I think it depends on the crisis. Like, because there are sometimes when it's if there's a crisis, meaning like you know there's a health thing going on, or there's a um, you know it doesn't even. I mean, maybe maybe it's even like not even necessarily a a bad health thing. It could just be that you just had a a kid, which is awesome, but mm-hmm. it's also sort of a, it rocks your world. I think that you know something like a gift card or food or something that 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 definitely helps. Mm. Um, but as far as for me in a in a you know in a different kind of crisis, um, I think words of affirmation are important. Just to know that you're not alone, that mm. people see you still, that they haven't disappeared, because uh, this world can seem pretty like a lonely place. Mm. So I think that's important to you know. I don't necessarily need to have someone sitting next to me, but more just to send a note. Just, mm. you know, send a text, phone call, whatever, just to say, hey, how are you doing? But um, yeah, 
That's I feel my thought. like we touched on all of the three things that I said we could offer to our friends, our hands, um, our minds, and our shoulders. We each kind yeah. of picked a different one. So, Well, and, and just as like a homework step, like I would encourage you to go to your friends before they're in crisis mm -hmm. and, you know, just just to ask which one means the most to you yeah because i i think it's pre-deciding you know you can help your friends with you but they can help you with us you know aaron you know words of affirmation mm -hmm. but like you know i could imagine showing up at your door you know <laughs> might might not be helpful mm -hmm. whereas you know for me it's like you know come on in i'm a mess mm -hmm. and i'm okay um you know and stuff like that so I, I just think it's important like hopefully this podcast trains people to have those conversations yeah and and just be on the lookout before a crisis happens yeah. you know um get to know your friends get to know the people around you and take time to think and to slow down and think if this person wasn't a crisis what would be the best way to help them and maybe even ask a person um get, just get to know them before the crisis happens and you'll be more prepared when it does time flew really fast <laughs> i uh i feel like i feel like we're gonna have to have you and amanda on again this is like oh, really so fun. this was a great conversation oh and yeah I, this I was love, so much fun i love the practical steps that you mm -hmm. gave too it was really really good so peter i just wanted to give you some kudos here too because you know i this is a practical example here like <laughs> I, there was a health issue I had last year and Peter actually knew me well enough. That goes to exactly the point. He, he, he did not come and want to come in the door. He came by with some food and said, Hey, here, I'm just getting this for you. I'm going to put it on your doorstep. We'll talk later. So good job. You're, you're modeling the way for the homework assignment you just talked so about. So now as an Enneagram <laughs> too, there's been times that I've been discouraged and Aaron mm. just shoots the text. Mm. So we are real friends in real life. <laughs> so there, uh, there we go. So no, I appreciate that. And, you know, it's neat as we get to know each other and even, you know, as we get to know you, mm -hmm. like, you know, you have this language now to do that. So this brings us to our last question. I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. All right. So uh, what does Jesus have to say about this topic? So. As always, Aaron and I respond to the question, and then you basically clean up our mess. So perfect. There we, we go. Can do that. So who's going first? Either way. Okay. Go um, for it. You go first. I don't think I went first last time. I think you've gone first a lot of times, but that's okay. I think so. Yeah. So, you know, I think about you know just the simple point, you know, um, of the golden rule, you know, love others as you love yourself. So. I think sometimes we're, we in the church shy away from loving ourselves, mm -hmm. which I think is really important because when you love yourself well, that way you start to notice and love people well. And, you know, I, I think about even where we're landing, why do my friends in crisis need me? They need you because God placed you in their life. Mm -hmm. It's not by accident that this person's going through a crisis. And it's just so important. I think what the gospel does is it moves you from doing things for people that make you feel better, like let go and let God, saying comments like that. We didn't even get to those, but <laughs> saying things that are super unhelpful or kind of saying, oh, I'll just pray for you because you have to stop and think, hey, this is what I would want. Maybe that's not what this person would want, but what can I do to step in for them to know that they're supported 
I'm not going to be able to respond to their issues of deconstruction like in one night. I'm not going to be able to cure cancer. I'm not going to be able to get them a job tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'd love for all those things to be true, but I can show up and showing up looks like a lot. And I think that that's what Jesus is teaching is, you know, love God, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. I think that that's pretty powerful. Yeah, I think that's really good, Peter. I think we we um, we are called to to love others, um, and you know, love others. We love ourselves, like you said, and um, we need to be in order to be really loving people. We need to be attentive to what their mm. what their their mm-hmm. needs are. I, I love the idea of you just just showing up, and um, I think that that's that's really important. I do think um, you know, I think part of showing up, especially as a Christian, is praying for that mm-hmm. person. Um, and, and I will say, I think that there are people who are really good at praying. And when someone who I know is really praying is praying for me, to me, that's really important. Mm. Um, and I want to be faithful in that myself also. Um, but you know, maybe it's show up and pray too. you know, so it doesn't seem like you're just pushing people off. I think Jesus wants us to be uh, showing up for people. What do you think, Alyssa? Yeah. I Clean like, up our mess here. Yeah, no, I liked both of what what you said. I thought both of your answers were really good. Um, as I'm thinking about Jesus and how he was there for people in crisis, I think about how so many times he was on his way somewhere, he was doing something and people came to him in crisis and he didn't know them. He didn't have time to prepare. He didn't know their love language, but he was there with them. Um, he sat with them. I think of Lazarus and uh, Martha and Mary and how they were in crisis. Their brother had just died and Jesus comes and the first thing he does isn't fix the situation. The first thing he does is sit with them and cry. Mm. Um, and I think we can learn a lot from that, um, how Jesus showed up to them, mm. or, um, showed up with them. Um, and then I also um, like what you were saying, Peter, to um, remind me of what you <laughs> said. <laughs> Love your neighbor as Love yourself. Love your neighbor There we go. Um, back to that idea is um, loving yourself and knowing your capacity because you're not going to be genuinely helping your neighbor if you are working out of your capacity if you're trying to pour from an empty cup. So mm. um, just to wrap that all together is you have to care for your neighbor in a healthy way and doing that means taking care of yourself as well because you're just going to hurt them more if you're if you're not helping them in a way that's healthy for you so crazy i read john 11 yesterday so um you know god does that sometimes mm-hmm. Alyssa, where's the best place people can find you and follow you so the best place right now is my instagram it's at underscore Alyssa mats and then another underscore at the end um i do a lot on there i like to talk to people i love i have so many internet friends i love just like talking to people on the internet so if you like follow me um i do a little bit of writing on there my goal is to go a little bit deeper into my writing once school is over so just follow me on instagram for now and maybe some more things will come out of that just remember us can you just just remember me and Aaron, okay? Yeah. There you go. Alyssa is a really good writer. She is. She's she's written a few things for our Broncroft blog also, and uh, we got another one coming out pretty yeah. soon. So yeah, she's good. So there we go. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, make sure the best way to get in touch with us and stay connected is to go to whygotwhypodcast.com and click the subscribe button. Thank you so very much. Thank you.